And so, you know, standardized testing has uh has reaped this, this, this ugly head again, right? We got these name <laughs> scores from 2022 um that that kind of um capture what appears to be learning loss at historic levels. And so, uh they're saying that uh the reading levels for for some folks are um at levels uh that are beneath the first iteration of measurement in the 1970s. And so just wanted to get y'all's thoughts in terms of like how y'all feel about uh standardized testing writ large so that we can argue because this is about to be an argument. <laughs> so it's not, I don't think it's about to be an argument um because I think no one who cares about and knows what high quality instruction looks like should think that testing assessments and data is wrong. I'm not on that team. I'm not on that camp. I believe that we need assessments. We need them to take place frequently. We need them to be authentic and we need to be able to use that data to make good decisions, both about what happens in classrooms every single day and to influence policies so that people can have a better, larger experience so it doesn't turn into these pockets of success. So I, I don't disagree with that. So my H, before you, before you get to your thing, right, let, let's come back on the other side. Doc is coming here tomorrow. Yes, I still I still think that you pen thing puts us on a map, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, so what I was saying, uh. um, the challenge is for me, I think two things. I think the isolated and often fragmented ways that we talk about student data, district data, and how many people don't understand what the data actually means see these headlines and these snippets and then make these assumptions about raggedy schools and raggedy systems and then try to justify their very uninformed beliefs about what we should be doing is one problem. I think my other problem specifically with Nate is, um, you know, perspective can always be very interesting. And so if I was to try to take an assessment of my house by just looking through the peephole, I would get a very different view of it than if I looked through an open door or from an aerial view of my home. And so we take a look at these test scores and we think, oh, we're at 250 and we've dropped by five points. But the last time I checked, that entire scale goes to 500. Okay. So we really want to be honest about what these NAEP scores mean. These NAEP scores have been trashed and barely at 300 ever when the top is 500. So we got failing kids in all racial groups, in all grades, in all states all the time. And we have to be critical when we think, and we have to really interrogate these scores. So me saying that a school district scores dropped by four points and they were at 240 and not at 236, well, they should be at 400. Why haven't we, aren't we talking about the things that we need to do to get all of them where they need to be instead of focusing on these little narrow drops? and not focusing on these entire, largely based across the board systems where everybody is failing. That's, that's, that's what I'd like to start with. Cause that, yeah. that's not clear. Uh, 
Uh, Doc, I know you had something to say about these 250, uh, something about <laughs> Listen, <clears throat> I, 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 I've never really understood our obsession <clears throat> with Nate because everybody's not getting taught the same thing. So what are we actually comparing? Like the curriculum isn't the same. Um, and like, what am I supposed to do with this data if I'm a classroom teacher or a school leader? Like, what do I do with it? And for me, data that's used as a hammer as opposed to a scalpel or a flashlight is performative. It is like, it's the, I'll just say it, it's the embodiment of all things I dislike about this so-called ed reform bullshit. Like let's shame people into doing the right thing because they didn't do well on some test. But like, if you give me this data at the end of fourth grade when the kids are gone, what am I gonna do with it? Okay, so they didn't do well on this test in fourth grade, but they're now in fifth grade. Like, what am I gonna do with that? Like, how do I use it to help solve problems in the lives of kids? I'm not anti-standardized testing. I am anti the monopoly that College Board has on standardized testing and Pearson. I will say that, that's a whole other conversation because they're not a nonprofit, but that's a whole other conversation and we should stop celebrating the AP African-American history course because College Board is gonna make more money off the back of our children, but that's another story. But the point of the matter is this, if we wanna use NAEP to help identify challenges and opportunities, then let's do that. But in order to do that, the usefulness of this, when it is given, figuring out is there a common assessment that's helping kids in the middle of the year? Like, what, what are we doing? So for me, I just see Nate and I'm like, yeah, I hear you, but like, what does it really tell me? Like, what is it really going to do? Does it tell me that their teacher is trash? Maybe. Or does it tell me that the system is broken? Maybe. So I, I just think a lot of this stuff, um, it, it's just not my jam. I believe in testing. Because uh, I want to know as a parent how my how my kids are doing. But like, what does Nate tell me? Because in D.C., let's be clear. In D.C., they use Nate to say we're the fastest improving urban school district in America. Uh, how about? Uh. Is, is D.C.P.S. the fastest improving urban school district in the country based on a single metric? And the one thing psychometricians will tell you, if you base any decision on a single metric, it is going to be a flawed decision. Because we understand that we do not live single issue lives. Doing the work in schools has lots of variables. So you need to include those things as we think about the health of our kids, both academically, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, and who profits off a name? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a for profit? So this this sounds like it's a nuanced argument, right? And so you got your nuance. Yeah, <laughs> you got your nuance. Baby. Right. All right, cool. All right, so so a couple things that you guys hit on, right? So so you talked about uh the fact that the curriculum is not the same, right? And so we know that in inner city, uh a lot of times when folks are are, are forced to purchase curriculum, uh they don't go through a stringent process of analyzing the benefits of what a curriculum should be and how it will impact or benefit the kids that are in most need of new curriculum. 
They also don't bring teachers into the conversation in order to unroll uh, this curriculum, because we know that uh, when you uh, unveil a new curriculum, you need to have buy-in from the folks that are implementing the curriculum. And if you don't, then it's going to be done in a half-assed kind of way, and the kids aren't going to really learn and, and, and benefit from, from that new curriculum, right? So that being said, I am 100% for uh, standardized testing. I think that standardized testing uh, allows us to uh, interrogate the system, right? To show the inequities that exist, right? So when these NAEP scores came out, although, you know, I, I know a lot of attention was being put into reading things from a deficit view, right? I still think that it's important to know that white kids are only behind 5%. Latino kids are only behind uh, 8%. And that African-American kids lag and are behind uh, uh, 13%. It's also uh, of note to notice that uh, Asian students were kind of like a push, right? And nobody's talking about that. Like nobody's talking about like, all right, all right, these Asian kids, they didn't underperform. They were like the same on the same levels. So what are they doing in, in, in these communities? What are they doing in these schools? What kind of uh, uh, extra things are being done uh, by Asian parents in order to maintain the, their levels, right? So that that's one thing. The second thing is, any black person, right? And I want to be clear. I want to make some enemies on this one, right? <laughs> Any, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give myself the whole screen. Any black person that comes in, caping, talking about oh, standardized test is the devil. Standardized test is this. Standardized test is that. In a system that was not built for us, for people that or look like us. For minoritized communities, right, and it being our only way to to, to keep folks honest, to have these uh, conversations about the inequities that exist in K twelve, right, for a system that we have been taught that has shown us their ass, shown us that we cannot trust them, right. Anybody that comes in, keeps talking about oh, standardized testing shouldn't happen, whatever, whatever. Man, you're trying to protect your own ass and your own self interest. You're not trying to protect black people. Get the fuck out of my face with that. That's where I'm at on that. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, right. And so remember, so NAEP is taken in the fourth, the eighth, and twelfth grade. So there are some differences that it, I just, I think, too, what's disheartening to me is that too many of the headlines make it seem like the pandemic wiped out all of learning or this is just <laughs> the worst it has ever been. And, yeah. and there were challenges, right? But yeah. we can't act like these challenges are things that we have not known have been a problem in public schools to start with. And it right. worries me when we think about teachers specifically. <clears throat> if we know that NAEP is given across all of the states and mm -hmm. that each state has its own curriculum, its own hiring mm -hmm. expectations, its own expectations for certification and who has the credentials to teach what, who, and when, and if we want to begin to say, well, schools are failing, the pandemic wiped us out, we've lost all these great teachers, let's lower the bar for teachers, let's pull people mm. off the street, mm. let's pull retired mm. folks, then what are we saying we really get? <laughs> we should be saying, based on these scores, we need to reevaluate who we have in our classroom. We need to redesign curriculum. I also think there's something very interesting about the way, why they choose fourth, eighth, and 12th grade. And I, it would be great to look at fourth grade scores to mm -hmm. think about where those gaps are, 
to provide support, interventions, new ideas, new ways of thinking, and then see where those young people were in eighth grade instead of it seeing, because the reality is most elementary schools are K to six. So you're not even going to have the students in the next year, right? There's not enough. We do a lot of conversation. Well, first of all, let me not say a lot. We don't talk enough about the dimensions of data and the complexities of what scores can tell us. We don't look, we always talk about, we looking at the whole child, but when push comes to shove, we're looking at their attendance, their suspension, and one or two grades for one or two classes. We don't talk enough about science. We don't talk mm. enough about geometry. We don't talk enough mm. about writing. And then we're worried about why they don't perform. We put too much on reading and math and forget the ways that those skills integrate into everything else. So we can use this data terrible and awful as it is, to be thoughtful and make better decisions about what happens in our classroom. And I know for DC specifically, whose park scores came out yesterday, the most one of the most important things in that article was the acknowledgement that they wanted to wait to reopen when it was safe and the billion dollars that they're putting into recovery. When folks mm -hmm. were sitting on their couches and we didn't have enough vaccines, Every other channel was talking about reinvent, reimagine, reinvent, reimagine. When you ask principals in schools, well, what do you need? We need more money. Now we got a billion dollars. Now let's do something different. And if all you want, if no one's talking about reinventing and reimagining, and all we can do is go back to the same raggedy ways of kids sitting in rows with one teacher, not leveraging technology, not leveraging project-based learning, not teaching children how to advocate for themselves. Then we then we we're just going in the same circles and we're blaming systems for failing us when we know that they weren't designed to help us in the first place and we're not doing anything about it. Mm. Yo, hey, you just gave a master class on, <laughs> yes. on, on 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 what needs to occur in DC public schools, but like we're not gonna let them off the hook. So DC right. charter schools, and you know I am a charter school advocate through and through, and and y'all got outperformed by the district. District schools are shit. So, <laughs> well, again, let me say, I, if, if nothing else comes from anybody who happens to listen to us for five minutes, 15 minutes or every single episode, I hope that you are pushed to be more curious about the things that are That's happening. Right. Because even the discussion around how D.C. public schools did outperformed D.C. charter schools, if the number of students who were at level four was 15 on one side and 13 on the other, then we still got a long, long way to go. And, yes, we gotta look at that. and we got to look at that data real specifically, because in one of the scores that I saw, because, you know me, I'm, I'm curious about what happens. I like to be informed. So as soon as the results came out yesterday, I pulled them up. I downloaded the files. I'm looking at the Excel sheets. When I looked at the math scores <laughs> specifically around gender, it looked like black. It looked like females in DCPS in grades three through eight that met or exceeded the expectation was at 24%. And females at public charter schools who met or exceeded the expectation was at 21%. But when we added race, it looked a little different. And it looked like black students in public charter schools outperformed DC public schools in grades three through eight. Now, again, you we gotta, look, go. we gotta pull up the data. Look. Hey, that's why I love y'all because folks be coming on here acting like a, 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 doing doing um acting like they're they're doing these episodes for the lay folks at home, but have the inability to critically break down the things that need to happen in order for you to understand data. And so I'm not really taking no shots at nobody. I mean, if you're the true fit, put that easy on, baby. 
But uh, <laughs> the easy slide, baby. <laughs> just saw the whole master class. But what? Here's the, here's the thing, right? And this is where I think about the ability of what H just did. My mm -hmm. question becomes: Are I won't say higher ed is trash like Ray does, right? It, it is. It is. But but what I will say about alt route programs teacher prep programs and school districts. Yeah. Are we working with educators to do what H just did? Yo, bro, in but, order but, to it, make instructional decisions. Beyond that, beyond beyond that though, right? And we're not just talking about instructional decisions because that's that's a train the trainer thing, right? So like mm -hmm. th what she just did was a master class in conversations on with, with superintendent on superintendent conversations that need to be had with school leaders, right? And so every superintendent should be able to go in and have that same conversation, that same mechanical and, 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 and breakdown of data the way that H just did to their yeah. school leaders. And then their school leaders should be able to take that back in order to have those same kind of conversations with the students, with the teachers, and with the parents, right? And so, so it sounds like she should be chancellor of D.C. Public School. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, hard, uh, or, hard or, 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 or. Yeah, because we're protecting black women. We want to make sure that we 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 put her in a we put her in a space to where there's that protection. So we're not gonna put her in Rochester. We're not gonna put her in Alexand in Alexandria. We're not putting her there because ain't no protection of black women there. And so <laughs> he's choosing violence right now. And, and I, I appreciate violence. you. I wanted to protect him, but I think the thing is though, this is why we have to. And this is my push that I said to us and to myself. I had to hold the mirror up to myself when I was talking to Doc the other day, right? Like, this is why we need more of us writing. <laughs> this is why we need more of us doing consulting. This is why we need more people who are in and of communities who are critical and curious and who are not, a, and who have a bit of protection, right? We gotta understand some school leaders are in places, whether local or district-wide, where they see these trends, but they don't feel safe enough to interrogate it and to name it, right? They know that you huh? wrote, yeah, I know you can't imagine it, but there are places where there are teachers who see trends and don't feel confident enough to bring it enough to certain school leaders or coaches because they don't understand or because the focus then becomes, well, I'm not worried about the district, just tell me about the 25 kids that we got in we can't create these silos, right? These pockets of, I know how to do data well at my school, so we move the needle, and y'all don't know how to do data well at your school, so just too bad. And That's then right. have people who work at the district offices in data and assessment, who only thing they do is do Excel downloads and pull out reports. That's not helping us think critically and curiously about what we need to do in order to make good decisions, both that are reflected in the experiences, the day-to-day -day facilitation. Because here's the thing, if you have students who have the same teacher and one group of them are doing better than the other group of them, then some of that is around the teacher, some of that is around engagement, some of that is around social emotional factors, some of that, there are a lot of different factors. And so we can't go into these conversations and think, well, this is just about them having a good teacher. And when we do have good teachers, are we treating them with respect? Are we valuing them? Are we using them as model places so that not only do the best teachers get the access to the largest amount of children, but that all the teachers who need to learn and who are developing get access to that master educator? That doesn't happen enough. 
Uh, age, age. I knew at some point, uh, during this, the, the, during this podcast, during this nuance, this nuance conversation, that there was going to be some kind of cape in for for teachers, right? I knew that that was going to happen, right? And so I prepared myself for a rebuttal for that, right? So just the same, <laughs> <laughs> just the same as you can advocate. For the model teachers, right? I, I want to uh, put some put put some space in place for these folks that should never have ever received certification, should never ever have been placed in a classroom, should never ever have been placed in front of a black kid. They're actually undoing uh, doing the work of white supremacy in terms of like um, uh, allowing us to not capitalize on the learning yields. So like. If you have a bad teacher for one year, it's actually regression, according to the research, right? And I don't think that we talk about that enough. I don't think that we name that enough, right? Everybody can't be highly qualified. Everybody ain't highly qualified. And so these systems need to start interrogating themselves a lot more because what y'all see as highly qualified, I see as cap. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. We need the best people in front of teachers, but the reality is until... I used to tell my folks, even if I put the best teachers in a multiplying machine and put them all in front of students, that still would not have been enough. And so the recruitment from district levels is often trash. And and we have to be a school leaders have to be able to fill that gap. And if the people I get have a lot of will but no skill, then I as an administrator have a responsibility to provide them with the coaching, the feedback, the support, the training in order to get better. Now, I don't think people all come in great, but if you have low skill and high will, you should be placed in particular schools and districts where they have known to grow talent and know to do the things that you need. If you are low skill and low will, you need to go. Point blank, period. But what we have more often is, here's what we have though, and this gets back to our previous episode, on quiet quitting. We got a lot of people with high skill and low will. And they don't feel like it. And you, it's not in my contract. And you didn't this. And I can't get this. And I can't get that. You, those folks also need a different kind of school leader. They need doc for a school leader, right? We, yeah. we, should be they won't be at my we should be looking at administrators and looking at the kinds of their capacity. Can you coach folks who are low skill and high will? Can you yep. coach folks who are low will and high skill? And what are we doing for those amazing, wonderful educators out there? Many of which are listening to us now and who are friends that we have who are high skill and high will. Too often what they get is more. The reward for good is more. You're great with the spare kids. Here, take three more. That's You're right. wonderful with this. Here, lead this other thing. And then we get angry that they as high skill and high will get burned out and don't want to do it anymore. Well, hey, here's hey, the thing though. But here's the thing. This goes to some systemic pieces, right? Tell me about principal's choice in DCPSH. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, so, I don't want to put you on the spot, but the point I'm getting at is that <laughs> those who know what great teachers teaching looks like, those who are great school leaders should be intimately involved with the selection of those uh, teachers who come into their building. Wait, 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 wait. Holy shit. You wait, wait, wait. You don't, you don't pick your own food? <laughs> well, part of that is 
part of that is around recruitment and the pool, right? And in an effort to try to address in an effort to try to address equity. If all the best teachers don't want to come to the places where the greatest need is because we don't have a parking lot and it's not safe to walk outside, then you can't be mad that I can't figure out innovative ways to recruit teachers to come to my school, right? We got great teachers who don't want to teach third grade because they don't want so much of their evaluation to be based on park scores and standardized testing. What I'm saying is I would love, when we talk about reinvent, reimagine, redesign, I would love for folks in districts to be really thoughtful about the skill set of their school building leaders and what kind of leaders they are and what kind of teachers need to be in a school with a leader like that one. Not everybody knows how to grow somebody from good to great. Some of us are builders, some of us are growers, some of us are stabilizers. And no one ever had a conversation with me as a district leader and said, you know what, Harrison, you're really great at recruiting and building folks. You take new teachers and you give them high quality coaching and you give them feedback and they grow and love and get better at this work. That is a skill and a gift that you have. Yep. And we want to do that and put you with other principals who are good at that to get that to be something where these That's are right. the kind of schools if you want to grow and get better. In, a, in an environment that supports you and will train you and work with you where the principal understands instruction because they were actually a K-6 instructor and have an active teaching license. Anyway. Off oh, they didn't go through broad? <laughs> Shade. Hey, don't do that. 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 You, know, you, know, you know I'm trying to get a bro this fall. Don't do that. Hey, oh. <laughs> Check his application. <laughs> yeah, that, that I think is a that's a misstep. We got a lot of great principals who are growers who never get to grow other schools. Hey, so since we're talking about that, right, and we're talking about principal, uh, we're talking about principal uh, stuff, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell y'all a little story about North Avenue, right? And y'all be able y'all y'all be able to relate to this, right? So, bro, I think when I was a principal, I was one of the best principals in the country, right? Because I felt like I cared about the kids. I had that. I had the legwork. In terms of uh, uh, being a good teacher in the classroom, I knew Baltimore City Public Schools like the back of my hand because I taught there. I cut my teeth there, right? And so there is a a a, a, a way to become a principal in uh in, in Baltimore City that's beyond uh you passing certification tests, right? So they do uh this quadrate of of of, of an interview process that that could be really intensive, right? For 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 people that you know don't know the system, or people that are unwilling to you know. Me, so me looking at a set of data uh, at Highland uh, 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 Highland schools or Highland Elementary School or whatever, right? Um, when the, high, the chances of me becoming a principal at Highland Elementary School is far-fetched, right? Um, it should not disqualify or discount my ability to, 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 to leave. You know, they just make it really difficult in order for good people to come in and be in these systems. And that, that that's that's what I wanna that's what I wanna I wanna focus on. And so if your principal process is one that is gatekeeper centered, right? Uh and you wonder why your system is bad, then that tells you why your system is bad. If you're not re if you're when we're talking about recruiting and retaining, right? If Super talented folks are not coming and beating on the doors in order to leave schools in your system. Then that's telling you about your process in order to recruit those people to come, right? And so, if you're not getting the best candidates, then you need to look at, well, damn, what are we doing? 
uh, what kind of candidates are applying. If we uh, if we're putting in these metrics in order for 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 folks to to pass certain tests or certain whatever, like who uh, where's the rubric? What yeah. kind of feedback are we providing these folks that are not uh, uh, reaching those levels of man? Listen, don't get me started, listen, man. Listen, A lot of these... <laughs> this is where this is where what I have seen in my role now being in tech. There's literally people who will say, who are the best schools of engineering in America? Let's go find the best engineers. There's actually an evaluation system. And again, I'm not saying teacher prep is trash or higher ed is trash, as my homeboy says. Right. But I will say, in order to get that, how come we don't use any of those metrics and we just go find teachers from any old random school? Yeah. Well, isn't that, I mean, isn't that a model that a lot of different industries use, right? Don't football coaches say where is, where are the best young people who are playing AAU, Texas, who are the best? Wait, 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 pause. AAU, I don't know how that No, seven on seven. Seven on seven? Is that like just for football? Oh, okay. Yeah, she made a football reference. You can't talk about AAU football. AAU's basketball. Oh, right, there's no AAU football. There's AAU basketball. But don't isn't there like a a recruiting, right? Like a scouting. There are folks who who go to games. Yeah, absolutely. Walk, they are looking. For hey, 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 the they know. They know. They know if you go. They know if you go into the league by eighth grade, unless you're right. one of them people that like blossom like later in, in, in your career yeah. and you go through like the, the college ranks but they know yeah. more pro by so there is a whole team that is designed to do that they are scouring yeah. the country they are looking for who are the best brightest minds who are solving the best problems who is the fastest who's got the fastest this who's doing all of these things and they know who they're looking for i know yeah. that there are amazing wonderful teachers who should be picked and primed and scouted as the next generation right. of instructional coaches, as the next generation of school leaders, right. as assistant principals, as principals, as as the curriculum developers, but we're not looking at them. We're not thinking strategically about that's a way we could be reinventing, reimagining, right? We could reimagine mm-hmm. what it looks like to build and retain principals and school leaders instead of thinking that you have to be a teacher for this many years, a coach for this many years, an AP in that school, and then you just become a principal because that's not the case. Um, and if we would could be honest about what people can do, where their gifts and talents are, then we could be honest about the feedback that they could get and ways that we can leverage their skills and their gifts in order to improve instruction for everybody, right? So I don't have any children. When I see scores of public schools and charter schools, I'm excited for the 12% of kids who can do it, and I'm furious about the other students that cannot. And so the competition does keep it going, but we still got to realize these are all our kids because the last I checked, unfortunately, there's been several shootings in this first week of school in D.C. And don't nobody care whether those kids went to a public school or a charter school. They still are in the hospital, right? We are hey, still disrupting communities. Baltimore, too. We're still disrupting lives. Murbo, too, right? Don't nobody yeah, care about that when, it, when push comes, Murbo, when it comes to push, when push comes to shove. And so the competition to keep us sharp and innovative and on the cutting edge of what we're doing, yes. The competition to say we're better than you and thus our kids are more entitled to something that your kids are not is trash. Yeah, agree. So, hey, let's take us into our closing thoughts. Uh, H, we'll start with you. So my closing thoughts, you know, I pull them up because I want to be good. And so my closing thoughts is to the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Miss Serena mm. Williams, 
who just retired. I pulled up her stats. So we've got 186 consecutive weeks at number one, four-time Olympic gold, 23-time major champion, 368 major match wins, six U.S. Open titles, 73 career titles. Shout out to the GOAT. I played tennis uh, in high school, not because I was into it, but mostly because the games were in the day and you could get out early on those days. Um, but just to be um, <laughs> one who knows a little bit about tennis, who's played, to be a Black woman, to to be someone whose work is often centered in joy and resilience and strength and power, and to be able to sit with my mother and watch those games has just been a treat. So um, that's that's my final word. Grateful to Serena and and to the influence that she has had on so many people who she who she may never even meet, but whose lives are, and whose interests and whose power is different because of the achievements that she did. So shout out to Serena. Now, my closing thoughts, I'm going to go back to my previous remarks about young people. And I want to shout out uh, and celebrate. There's this young man, uh, as I'm working with uh, my oldest son to learn to play chess, I want to shout out, his name is Tani Adewumi, and he became the youngest chess master um, at the age of 10. And, um, and he's the 28th youngest person to do that. He's in New York, um, and he once lived in a homeless shelter. And uh, I was so intrigued by his story, listened to it on NPR, and just want to use that at, to, to encourage uh, Black children to engage with intellectually rigorous activities outside of school, chess, checkers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Learning to, learning to do programming, coding <coughs> outside of school um, because his story really uh, was so captivating when, uh, when one of my homies who plays chess uh, heard about it. And, and the last out there is uh, I stayed up to watch uh, the, um, the match with Serena and um, uh, adding on to her athletic accomplishments she came out and publicly supported Kaepernick. She was unapologetically black all the time, and unapologetically from Compton, California. <laughs> and as someone who's unapologetically from Detroit, got mad respect uh, for Serena Williams. And so just uh, thank you for everything that Serena has provided us and just being uh, a, a meaningful uh, actor in, in our lives for the last, I don't know, 27 years, uh, just watching her grow up from 17 and now being this grown adult impactful sister in our society. So just uh, shout both of them out. Hey, H, I, I saw Sierra in the stand. She looked like she was in the episode of Get Out, like she ain't happy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why did both have sunglasses so, last night? So my, they both beat each other up. Hey, so so my <laughs> my uh my final thought is uh I want to shout out 3M and Discovery Education. So they're doing a um so they're doing a competition uh for grades uh 5 to 8 STEM in St. Paul, Minnesota in uh in mid October. I've been invited to be a guest uh a, a guest judge uh in order to um judge these uh these STEM projects that that, that young folks are doing. And so this competition is a a nationwide competition. The winner of the competition receives $25,000 uh, to, to use uh, to, 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 to further uh, fund their quest to become scientists. Some of these folks that have won this competition have been uh, 30 under 30 and yeah. like all these other sorts of, 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 uh, of things. For, and they're also um, going to be mentored by scientists from 3M. 
And so this is dope, 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 dope. And definitely uh, something that I'm going to uh, bring to my school in order to get them more interested in STEM because uh, that's what leaders do. Secondly, I also want to shout out Serena Williams because the first thing that black woman did when she grabbed that mic was she said, I would like to thank my daddy. That was so powerful for me having a little girl. Man, man, listen, let me tell you something, right? And so although he wasn't able to be there in person, he was definitely there in spirit. And the way that he poured into those girls, they love him. They love that dude, Dirty Draws. And so the fact that they were able to shout him out and, and, and put him on the stage uh, because he put them on the stage, uh, is, is is something that, that's incredible, and, and I'm glad that I had the opportunity to watch that. All right, so you have been listening to another episode of Three Times Dope Podcast. We'll see you when we see you because H is a professor, and she's doing all kind of weird shit. <laughs>